nice night for a walk. Your clothes. Give them to me now. <laughs> yes, welcome back, everyone, to the Silver Screen podcast. Uh, and that was a bit of a hint of what we are going to be looking at uh, this week for this new episode. Uh, it's eagerly anticipated by some. Uh, let me just start by saying in the vast realm of sci-fi, there are certain movies that have carved out an indelible mark in the collective consciousness of moviegoers. And among them, James Cameron's 1984 movie The Terminator stands tall as a genre-defining film that continues to seemingly captivate audiences even decades after its original release. Directed by Cameron and starring Arnold Schwarzenegger, this sci-fi thriller slasher horror remains a pivotal entry in the realm of time travel narrative and dystopian visions of the future. Uh, we here are three avid movie enthusiasts. I am your regular host, Mike Wilson. Hello. Uh, I'm joined by my usual co-host, DK. Hello. And uh, we are joined once again with the triumphant return of... The long lost Will Templar. <laughs> Yay! Woo! <laughs> Hello! Five months, my God. I lost my computer, I got a laptop, but I still can't fix my Wi Fi issues. So thank you for having me back. No problem. Well, um, just to give the audience a heads up, then, you might be thinking, why the Terminator? Because normally we just do films that are related to something that's coming out in cinema and whatever. Well, we had this on the docket for a while because, believe it or not, Will had previously never seen the Terminator movies. Um, being his fantastic great friend, I bought him number one and two for Christmas last year um, to make him watch them and knew that we could come around to reviewing them this year. So that was the plan. So it'll be a bit like old times, Will, when we were uh, first recording back on different podcasts and everything and I was introducing you to films. <laughs> absolutely i think that's how we first conceived the podcast it was like just introducing each other to new things with uh be it doctor who episodes like in classic mm. who and then when we get into uh, went to films we did films that we kind of loved or despised and we never really uh the other person never had seen it before so it's nice to mm. go back to our roots yeah absolutely yeah fantastic and uh safe to say this film's probably better than the last arnold schwarzenegger movie i introduced you to for the first time <laughs> Oh, what was that? I can't... Oh, it was, no. It was Batman and Robin. <laughs> Batman and Robin, I might just think it was. Oh, you poor bastard, Will. Oh, Lord, yeah, no, no. <laughs> yeah, that was really, really bad. <laughs> I still can't believe that. What was it, Marlon Brando got like $10 million for like a three-second cameo? Jesus Christ. That was Superman, dude. <laughs> I did introduce you to that one as well, mind, but yeah. <laughs> oh, am I getting the wrong um, film? Oh, Lord. Oh, yeah. yeah, that was Superman I, I you're thinking of, but it is true what you said. So, yeah, oh, fair enough. Uh, well, in any case, uh, we decided because you know it's Will's first time, it'll be interesting to see from his perspective as a new viewer and a younger viewer, uh, coupled with mine and DK's somewhat more experienced and uh, I'm guessing not first time viewing experience of this movie. Guessing you've seen it a few times, DK. One or two. <laughs> That's fair enough. So yeah, it'll be hmm. interesting to see kind of. Um, does this movie have enduring appeal in the context of modern cinema? Because it was released at a time, obviously, when practical effects reigned supreme, and uh, it was a bit of a landmark, pushed the boundaries of what was possible, and blended a gripping storyline with fairly groundbreaking effects, uh, and, yeah, created an adrenaline-fueled experience unlike anything seen before, I would say. Beyond uh, the action-packed sequences and Schwarzenegger's memorable performance, I think it also posed some profound philosophical questions that explored the nature of humanity, ethical implications of artificial intelligence, quite timely at the minute, 
and the fragile balance between fate and free will. So, yeah, as we uh, kind of rewatch or watch for the first time this classic film, uh, we're going to be examining does it continue to provoke such introspection and spark discussion on those kind of big themes? So, yeah, join us anyway as we bark, embark on this journey through time and delve into the intricacies of The Terminator from its screenplay to its influential cinematography and enduring legacy. We're going to dissect the film's various aspects, uncovering the reasons behind its lasting impact, maybe, on the genre. So fasten your seatbelts, adjust your timeline, and get ready to experience the thrill all over again as we delve into the world of The Terminator. So, yeah, uh... We are going to do this the same way that we normally do our big reviews. We break it down into sections. Uh, when we get to the main review, it will uh, not be linear as such. It just tends to break down into writing, directing, plot, etc. But we always start with a behind-the-scenes section, and that is always the purview of the DK-800, as I'm going to call it this week. <laughs> Cyberdyne yeah. Systems model DK-101 over there. <laughs> Have you so seen this DK boy? <laughs> anyway so you all set with the behind the scenes stuff for us i am dude thank you i'm gonna see if i can play something let's see if this sounds suitably terminator-esque i would rather have been playing the um brad fidel terminator score but we'd get immediately copyright strike yeah i used to do that so we'll just have to go with night driving it seems vaguely terminator-esque so, <laughs> I guess. Take it over. <laughs> I mean, Thanks, it's either that, it's either that, or like dance pop. Really. <laughs> yeah, this will do. This will do. It's a quiet night at Technoir. <laughs> I got it. We have the time. It's hilarious. Wait. There you go. Oh, there we go. That's all right. That's all right. It's, it's a good track to uh, put on a trench coat and shoot somebody. That's nice. <laughs> Don't say things like that, dude. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> okay. Now, James Cameron initially envisioned the idea for the Terminator script while ill in Rome. He was involved in post-production on his previous movie, the one he doesn't like to talk about, Piranha 2 <laughs> The Spawning. After spending the last of his own money on the flight out to Rome, the story goes that he didn't have enough money for food and, increasingly sick from lack of nutrition, went to bed one night with a fever. As he slept, he had a nightmare of a metal endoskeleton emerging from a fire and dragging itself across the floor by kitchen knives in its hands. When he woke up, he made a drawing of the vision and began working on a script, writing backwards from that initial premise. The endoskeleton aspect was futuristic, but due to money issues, obviously, setting it in the future was not possible, which necessitated the inclusion of time travel. Now, this first draft was uh, much more elaborate than the final film version and included two Terminators and two Resistance fighters being sent back. The first Terminator, the Endoskeleton version, would be destroyed during the course of the movie, so Skynet would send back another variant, one consisting of liquid metal, with the thought of using claymation in dark shots to portray the shape-shifting aspect of this second assassin. Now, realising that it wouldn't work and prove problematic for a relatively ex uh, inexperienced director to sell this idea to the studio, he removed the liquid metal Terminator from the script and kept the first half only. Second half would have to wait several years after the CGI used in Cameron's 89 movie The Abyss convinced him that a liquid metal Terminator was now feasible. And then he returned to the idea and finished off his original uh, script in 1991's T2. Now, carrying this trend on, two deleted seats from the movie 
Uh, one where Connor finds out that Skynet was created by the company Cyberdyne, and one where a chip was taken from the Terminator's arm by an employee of Cyberdyne, both removed from this movie to create more ambiguity. And again, as we all know, they were used as plot points in the second film. Sorry to interject, but I will just say that I do have um, a section that I'll get to later on the deleted scenes because I watched them on the Blu-ray, and that yeah. is among them. There's some really cool things that they cut, which uh, yeah would have set up that sequel in a different way, but we'll talk about that later. Cool, no worries. Now, in the original script, Sarah Connor has an old skating injury that was fixed with surgical pins, with the Terminator cutting open the legs of the first two victims to find said pins. This was obviously removed for the final script, However, in the novelization, the pins are there, but instead of a skating injury, they were inserted after her leg was broken during the final battle with the Terminator. Skynet knew that Connor had them, but not how she received them. Thus, the Terminator was looking for the sign of an injury she had not yet, not yet sustained. Wibbly wobbly tiny whiny. <laughs> now... It's all right. Now, Cameron initially didn't want Schwarzenegger in the role of the Terminator. and uh, He was originally approached by Orion Pictures executive Mike Medavoy after meeting him at a party to play Reese, the man who would come back in time and coin the, word, the term MILF. Now, Cameron reportedly didn't want Reese to have the bulk uh, that Schwarz, uh, Schwarzenegger and only agreed to meet with Arnold at the insistence of Medavoy planning on picking a fight with him at the meeting and then claiming he would be impossible to work with. Mm. Cameron instead found Schwarzenegger so charming and so enthusiastic about the script, despite apparently not caring for it at all that much, that he offered him the role saying, it's not about the hero, it's all about the Terminator. For his part, Schwarzenegger overruled his own agent who had advised him against taking villain roles. As for the Terminator, Despite rumours to the contrary, Lance Henriksen was apparently not up for the role and just turned up to the studio meetings dressed as the titular character to make the execs nervous. Spoiler, it worked. Sylvester Stallone and Mel Gibson were briefly considered, as was, believe it or not, O.J. Simpson, who producers passed on as they feared he was, and I quote, too nice to play a cold-blooded killer. Oh dear. Now, <laughs> yeah. Irony. That, that age like milk. Now, the, uh, the Schwarzenegger-Cameron friendship continues to this day, with apparently the only time the pair had a major disagreement was during the filming of this movie. The original line in the script was apparently, I will come back, which was then changed to, <laughs> I'll be back. However, Schwarzenegger apparently didn't like the line as written, thinking it would be more machine-like to not use contractions, and read it as, I will be back. Cameron, in response, stated, I don't tell you how to act, so don't tell me how to write. Now, the club, Technoart, named after a style of film that Cameron coined, was built specifically for the movie. The crew had to turn away local club goers who thought it was a real nightclub. Still exists. It's now a jewellery store, however. And Schwarzenegger allegedly delayed the shoot by two days as he thought the custom-made leather jacket he wore as the Terminator wasn't manly enough. Now, in for foreign titles, in Polish, a Terminator is another name for Apprentice. So when released in Poland, this movie was originally given the title of The Electronic Murderer. Yeah. Yeah. The truck that runs over the Terminator towards the end of the movie, it's the same model of truck as the toy version that the Terminator drives over at the beginning of the movie. 
And finally, the crew has shirt, had shirts made up during the production of the movie that simply read, You cannot scare me, I work for James Cameron. <laughs> Indeed. Right. Ah, so is that everything you have for the behind the scenes section? It is. There's a little bit later on when, we, when we're discussing the movie, but that's it for this section, yeah. That's fair enough. You did say you had stuff about the writing, and it's a movie that I know a fair bit about, so maybe I'll be able to interject with bits and pieces as well. Uh, so yeah, let me just stop that music. You've been targeted for termination. <laughs> there we go. I found as many quotes as I could just to shove in for no reason. <laughs> wait for you, we better and pull our fucking heart out. you always, Mike. Then you always. It's not a man. Machine. Terminator. Cybernine Systems Model 101. Okay, that'll do for now. <laughs> so, yeah, thanks for that, DK. It's, uh, yeah. So before we jump in, and I, I did want to uh, to ask Will, since it is the first time you've watched that movie, uh, as spoiler-free as possible, what were your overall thoughts coming off uh, watching this for the very first time? Uh, so I do mention it in my notes, but you did mention about how some of the effects were, like, um, groundbreaking. So I went into it anticipating mm. quite a bit, to be fair, even though you did say it aged quite a bit, and in retrospect, I now know what you were thinking of, um, because mm. I was thinking of something else in terms of like the stunt work and whatever, but not the actual stop-motion effects or whatever the hell they use for the animations. Um, mm. But otherwise, I just thought it was a really, really, you know, amazing action horror film what would you even call it a horror film or an action film because i would well, i can say it's a horror because it plays out the same as like halloween would for example but just with the action yeah. of the course yeah that's exactly what the a discussion that i was gonna have and i've made it in my notes because this is a discussion that came up when i was at university because i had a, a lecturer in horror films that insisted that this film is a slasher film uh, except with guns instead of knives and you're exactly right it does play out just like that uh, right down to you know the the relentless killer stalking and killing innocent people the final girl you know the the killer who you think is dead and then comes back and he, you know just keeps on coming and as as he ripped off his legs and he still comes at you and whatever else so i always think of it kind of as a slasher film other people kind of don't like that term and would say it's like a thriller or an action thriller or sci-fi thriller horror whatever but i think it, it's it's mm. kind of weird because i think it's I kind of compare it in some ways to the Alien franchise, where I would say Alien is definitely a horror movie. Aliens is just straight up action. And I think Terminator 1 and 2 are similar. The first one is very kind of atmospheric horror, and the second one is just pure sci-fi action movie, basically. So yeah, well, Will, I'll come to you as the first-time viewer, not to keep putting you on the spot, but uh, what did you think of the acting? <laughs> uh, the, the, yeah, the main actors in this movie, well, how did you think of the performances? And uh, yeah. You see, I'm more mixed than I'm sure a lot of people are. With Arnie, I think it was a fantastic performance. It was inspired casting with like the very roboticy voice, so it kind of makes sense for him to be like an android. Because even when he's on like the Logan Paul podcast as well, his like natural speaking voice is like uh, the Terminator. It's very similar, so he didn't really have to put too much into it. Of course, he put a lot into it. Um, whereas I do think, uh, what's his name? Uh, Michael, I I can't even pronounce the second Bean. name. It's just Michael Bean. Bean. Michael Bean. <laughs> um, whereas with him, I think he was unfortunate because he had to do a lot of the um, explanations to the audience. Well, uh, to Sarah as and then through the audience that way. So I think he kind of suffers from what he was given with uh, the exposition wise. 
And I think that's very clear in the car sequence where he's talking to her for the first time and like explaining what's going on as like they're on the pursuit. Uh, so I think he was unfortunately um, let down. However, I thought everyone else, like the police department, like the constable, uh, they were all like reassuring presences and, and like moments later they got gunned down by the Terminator. But for their fleeting moments, I thought everyone was kind of perfect. Fair enough. Um, yeah, and DK, just general thoughts, and then I'll I'll have a few things I kind of want to bounce off you guys, if you don't mind. But uh, yeah, just generally, what did you think of the acting? Uh, I'm kind of in the same boat as well. I mean, everybody was pretty spot on. Uh, unfortunately, Bean did have a lot of the uh, the exposition, and some of the dialogue does did come across as, you know, a bit corny, a bit hackneyed. But, you Man's know, we're, we're 40 years out of this and uh it's gonna seem like like that no matter what even still there are some wonderful uh wonderful lines that bn has so yeah as it as it comes to acting i think they all did a, a bang up job yeah, fair enough are mm. you talking about cheesy cheesy lines like the 600 series had rubber skin we spotted them easy but these are new. yeah <laughs> I don't mind, to be honest, but yeah. So uh, no, yeah. It's, it's all right for what it is. Don't I mean? Don't get me wrong. Yeah. As I said, we're, we're forty years on, and we've had a lot of this stuff since then. So uh, mm. it is going to come across like that. It's like your old uh, Chandler novels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess so, Raymond Chandler type thing. Yeah, fair enough. But yeah, and as you said, um, it, it is as we were kind of alluding to genre. This is it's it's said to have created a genre of its own that being tech noir which is the name of the club and i can kind of see where they're coming from with that as well the kind of idea of a cyberpunk tech future thing coupled with the you know the, the trappings of an old film noir almost so yeah there's that kind of mix of atmospheres and yeah you can see why it kind of started and, and was a bit groundbreaking in that respect but that's probably for a discussion for a later moment but um yeah so what i did want to ask was uh yeah, Will, this is your first exposure to these movies, so what do you think about the idea uh, or the, the famous concept that Sarah Connor is like a feminist icon, and what did you think of her journey throughout this movie? Uh, to be fair, I thought the end was like spot on with her character being the uh, the focal point of the film, because mm -hmm. she is the most important aspect of this film, not typically the Terminator, because the Terminator obviously goes after her, so she's integral to it. So uh, her journey throughout the film played out um, just as it should have, in my opinion. And I think the love story especially wasn't, I mean, you've said the word already, corny. I don't think uh, that like played out corny at all. I think she was strong, and I think she quite rightly was the one to destroy, just, uh, quote unquote, destroy the Terminator towards the end. Not sure what yeah. there is much else to say about that. Yeah, no, that's that's. I mean, you're basically saying more or less the same stuff that I I would have. But um, before I jump in and and see if I've got anything different to add, what about you, DK? What do you make of this kind of Sarah Connor journey and uh, the growth of her as a feminist icon? Obviously, without touching on Terminator Two, which I think is probably the main focus of that kind of discussion. But I think it's it's definitely present here. What did you think of it in this movie? Oh, definitely. I mean, it, you you only start to really see it towards the end once uh, Reese is kind of not necessarily out of the picture, but once you can't really rely on him as much and you mm -hmm. do see the, that the, you know, the foundations and the, of the character that she would eventually turn into. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, yeah, as you said, even, even at the very end of the movie, um, when she's, you know, she's pregnant with John and she's starting to come to terms with it all. I think there's the hint of that, but yeah, I, I mean, 
I I do see a real change in her as the movie progresses because I I sometimes forget because I'm that sort of you know all fear with this entire franchise how how much she starts to, as the kind of you know unlucky hapless put upon. I'm gonna have to put on a smile and face the day, and this annoying kid's just poured ice cream in my shirt or whatever. And uh, yeah, it's like, yeah, that's such a complete difference. And then even when she goes home, her and her roommate Ginger are just—they are the 1980s personified in human Ginger. form. She loves her music. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I did notice, like, even as Sarah's like cowering in the police station and stuff later, she's. Maybe this was deliberate, maybe not, but the costume people have her wearing pink, which is traditionally the more sort of feminine, weak, you know, no offense, but weak seeming idea. And I'm not sure if they were deliberately kind of playing that as she was, you know, that that she started out that way and then grew beyond it. Um, but yeah, I mean, even, even as Reese first meets her and he's trying to tell her the importance that she's going to have and that John, her son, will have, she kind of doesn't believe him and she gives him the whole, am I tough? Am I organized? I can't even balance my checkbook, you know. But then by the end of the movie, you have her trying to pull up Reese's dying sort of body and get on your feet, soldier. And of course, you know, by the time you reach the very end of the film, she's the one that delivers this fantastic line. Someone take the yeah. soundboard off him. <laughs> I just, I, I'll try not to use it too much more, but yeah, just your Terminator fucker at the very end, as you said. I'm going to send someone back just to wipe you out for this soundboard. <laughs> yeah, three years ago. Well, four years in his case, old man. <laughs> I am Skynet. <laughs> Check out my profile picture. Look, I am a Terminator. Anyway, but um, no, yeah, but like I said, it was deliberately, it was quite clearly yeah. Sarah that got the agency and got to finish off her nightmare there. And uh, I mean, like when I said, she starts, she is almost like a rom-com archetype. Yes, yeah. Character. Well, not and... even, it's it relates to what I, both, both Will and I were saying. I think they are both slasher stereotypes, especially Ginger as she's wandering around like, you know, my boyfriend's getting murdered in the other room, but I've got my Walkman on so I can't hear. That is a scene that could be in a Halloween movie, you know? Yeah, and it, it's it's definitely fiction because I had a Walkman back then and you could hear a pin drop. <laughs> <laughs> yep, agreed. <laughs> yeah, I don't care how loud the music was you were listening to, the headphones of any Walkman we had were not that powerful. <laughs> Which says a lot for the performance of a boyfriend, really, while she's like, you know, head banging to her music while they're going at it. That's, you know, he's... He's hapless, Jesus. <laughs> Poor hapless fellow. Anyway, obviously you talked about Michael Bean. I personally thought Michael Bean was great. I was really impressed because I think he's, to me, he he came across as every bit the action hero and he's kind of leading the charge because he's the one that, as you said, knows everything. So he's got to impart this information. Um, yeah. Did you guys see him as a convincing action hero or not really? I, oh, I did. I, I did like, uh, it's, it's, partly down to being it's partly down to how it's written and it's partly down to the direction but i did love for the first third of the movie the ambiguity that you yes. don't know if reese is you know yeah. the same as arnie really if he's there just even though you had the the thing where he didn't outright kill the homeless guy and just you know uh hey, that but, guy took my pants man sorry yeah. i didn't have the soundboard for that i just had to do it myself <laughs> <laughs> I, I couldn't tell it was it was uncanny. Lawless, uh, wasn't it? Yeah. So, yeah, I did like the ambiguity there, but yeah, I'm glad that he, he eventually, obviously, Cameron thought so when he replaced James Remar with him later on. In uh, Aliens, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Mm. Yeah, um, not that it's relevant right now, but he also has a fantastic scene in Terminator 2 that's only in the extended version. It was cut from the theatrical, but yeah. it's really good in that. With the Terminator um, 2, I was going to watch it later this week. What should I watch, the original or the director's cut? Director's. I would go with the director's cut, the extended version, yeah, okay. definitely. Roger that. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's definitely, it's far superior. Same as Aliens, I would always say go with the director's cut, the extended yeah. version of that as well. Yeah, I, I've um, watched the director's cut and I absolutely think it's, it makes like a four out of five film a five out of five. It's so much Yeah, better. I would agree. Yeah, yeah fully, absolutely. Um, that's cool. Well, so yeah, but um, I did want to bring up like in terms of the acting and stuff, uh, I don't know if you didn't really have it in the behind the scenes section, so I'm not sure if you're aware of it, that Michael Bean was kind of, he was basing his performance on like World War Two. Uh, prisoners of war and uh, particularly the Polish resistance, apparently. Um, oh, no, I never, I never saw that bit. Yeah, you can kind of see it in his performance, especially in the flash forwards, I guess you would call them, the sort of flashbacks to the, the machine war that's in the future. But yeah, time travel. But yeah, you know what I mean? The flashes to the future of, uh, you know, when he's leading the people underground and the T-600, I think it is, infiltrates. You can kind of see where that's coming from as they, they're struggling and I think he has genuine, believable rage and intensity, to be honest with you. And he, he has to do that annoying thing of explaining to somebody who doesn't believe you, which can come off really annoying. And I don't think it does here. Um, also, in terms of yeah, this, this is me going into full on annoying film study student mode again. But in terms of symbolism, it's uh, I think, yeah, people have pointed out he does emerge in a white light, starts out in pain and says it's like being born. Plus, he has scars on his back, which are exactly where angel wings would be, and says he would die for John Connor, whose initials, by the way, are JC. So if you want to look for this, you know, the this guy in there. <laughs> <laughs> now, but I'm I just saying it's with, the... um, DK about the ambiguity, and I think because of that exposition scene about a third of the way through, perhaps it was a, a little bit jarring. Like, I could never mm. place my finger on what the problem was, but because of DK's good point of, like, the ambiguity at the start and you mm. don't really know what's going on you're just like a passive viewer experience what is this film at the start so for it to go straight to exposition is a little bit um untoward in my opinion yeah i think it kind of has to though because there's a lot to try and clue the audience in on um even to the point that it does it with the little sort of text scroll at the start of the movie and it still doesn't good. fully yeah but i liked it yeah it still doesn't fully fill you in on what's going on but it is it's a surprisingly complex story that i think we are more easy easily able to understand and stuff because we are nerds and we watch a lot of time travel films and doctor who and stuff so we don't really have to wrap our heads around it in the way that perhaps an average audience might have to <laughs> yeah i mean this story is very close to home nowadays we're living through it pretty much i'm scared that it's like six years away i think uh, in the future this is set now mm. like to our current selves and it doesn't seem that unrealistic yeah no. absolutely yeah that's the thing i mean with the, the, the growing sort of emergence of ai and stuff it's absolutely back in the news and back to potentially being uh, very prescient again which as i said yeah. it's weird how these themes just keep coming up and people don't seem to learn which is weird because may have a speak to snapchat ai you will be horrified with the summer things it comes up with yeah I've, I've, i have a friend who's made it his job in recent weeks to just go on there and argue with it oh, and uh, post it so like you on the internet <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. How are you doing, man? I know, right? <laughs> I can't help it. Those Snyder Bros, dudes. Yeah, I respect <laughs> it. I saw it. I saw it. <laughs> oh, bless your heart. Anyway. But, you know, yeah, sticking, sticking with the theme of superheroes, it's like that meme 
that people saying the most realistic MCU villain was Ultron. Dude spent mm. five minutes on the internet and decided humanity had to go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's it. No hope for humanity. No, like uh, bringing it back to the uh, the acting, because again, you guys have already touched on this, but I weirdly, I'm in complete agreement with you, Will, which doesn't always happen, but I also thought the love story was fantastic and really believable, and it's not something that I'm I'm usually all right with in movies. I'm very critical when it comes to these things, but... And to be fair, there's a chance that Kyle could have come off as a bit stalkery and a bit creepish, especially yeah. when it's like, I've had this photo of you for so long, and I came back through time to find you, and, and yet it doesn't. It just comes off as romantic, and they literally get a room. <laughs> so you can't it, it was the right level of pompous it was like subliminal and i just think it was it played out really impressively and again i had the same issue with well not the same issue the uh, same potential issue of it it could have been a bit stalkery but it just seemed really sweet as well because of you know by that point you've you're aware of the stakes and what he's come yes. from so it kind of not cliche but um you can kind of put two and two together and um it, it does work yeah, I think the, the the acting, sorry, certainly plays a huge part in that, but also the direction and the writing. So, like, for example, mm. the key line for me is, in the few hours that we had together, we loved a lifetime's worth. To say that and not come off like a really bad Mills and Boone novel and, yeah. you know, make it believable, I'm like, that's really good, you know? I'm, I'm here for it. And it does, does it play into these ideas of, like, fate and maybe they were soulmates that were destined to get together? Because then he kind of tells her the opposite and says, you can make your own fate so again it raises some pretty interesting questions perhaps <laughs> we briefly touched on it but i did want to say yeah there isn't a lot to say about arnie uh, other than obviously this is perfect because he doesn't have to do or say very much <laughs> which people said at the time it's perfectly suited for him uh, dk i think you know the exact number of uh, lines of dialogue he has right yeah 17 lines uh, 16 of which were uh, original what was repeated yeah <laughs> so and uh, yeah because he, he does do intimidating really well, and he even like the way that he moves or tilts his head and stuff, he does the robotic mannerisms really well. And as far as I'm aware, that wasn't anything that was taught. That was the kind of the reason he got the job, because he was basically instructing James Cameron on how the actor, whoever they cast as the Terminator, should move and should look. And uh, Cameron's even said, like, casting Schwarzenegger goes against the plot because the Terminator is supposed to be an infiltration unit that you wouldn't spot in a crowd. And... Schwarzenegger's gonna stand out in a crowd, you know. He's not going know, it, it is LA. They do have Muscle Beach there. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, like in the future, yeah. for example, they're supposed I to be infiltrating. You, know, you know, I would imagine a guy looking like you know a stocking full of walnuts isn't unusual there. <laughs> well, you said it. But, uh, yeah. So the, the, uh, I don't have much else on the acting except I wanted to bring up a couple of things. First of all, DK. Your boy, uh, Dick Miller, who we just saw in Gremlins, makes another sly little appearance. Yeah, Mr. Fullerman getting blown away. <laughs> hey, just what you see, pal, whatever. Yeah, the, the, the problem is now, you, you, you look at that scene and you think, well, that's pretty much everyday life now. Yeah, I know, it's disturbing. And it's really weird to us, well, I don't know about you, but it's weird to me as an English audience that they're walking in and he's like, well, some of these things, they have a seven-day waiting period, you can walk out of here with some of them right now, and I'm like... Jeez, that country is ass backwards. Yeah. The, the other thing I wanted to bring up, this is a really geeky thing, um, but it uh, does feature Bill Paxton in the uh, intro, along with um, Brian Thompson as the punks that get, uh, you know, attacked and one killed, several traumatized by the Terminator. Also, um, Brian Thompson's jaw. 
indeed. But uh, there was a kind of geeky thing going around for a while that Bill Paxton was the only person uh, who has been killed by a Terminator, an alien, and a Predator. But as I researched this, people are in disagreement because they say that the Terminator didn't kill the punk at the start of this movie other than the Brian Thompson version of the character that uh, Bill Paxton survived. So he may have faced all three, but he wasn't killed by all three. Um, and certainly by the time you get to Alien versus Predator, that title goes to Lance Henriksen, who was there and being killed by an alien in Aliens, um, a Terminator in The Terminator, and a Predator in Alien versus Predator. And I think it's fairly uh, mm. you know, obvious in those cases. So just a little geeky fact there for anybody who's curious. <laughs> and I just want to say quickly, yeah, the supporting cast, as Will already said, all do brilliantly. Uh, the late Paul, Will Paul Winfield uh, as the head detective, who obviously DK and I will know from uh, Wrath of Khan. And the next gen episode, Darmok. <laughs> I know, <laughs> I know, Shaka. And uh, yeah, exactly. Plus, uh, obviously, the aforementioned Lance Henriksen, bit of a um, you know a legend in uh, just genre generally. And uh, Earl Bowen as Doctor Silverman, who would reappear in Terminators Two and Three in the same role as this kind of psychologist who's very crap yeah, at his job. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> I can jump in here if you're struggling with the uh, actor notes and it was towards the end really and it's more of like a practical effects note I suppose but you know how yeah. you have like those tennis balls sometimes that actors uh, kind of have to use as an eyeline for creatures and whatever that aren't there. Yeah nowadays yeah totally. Yeah, yeah towards the end there's the moment in the factory where the final like battle kind of takes place and where the Terminator is kind of quote unquote defeated and uh, mm. it was a stop animation or the animation, whatever the hell it is. It is stop um, motion, by the way. I should have said that when you mentioned motion, it earlier, but it is. When yeah, it's in motion. like full effect, where it's completely, it's being completely used in all of these shots. And um, Carl goes to close the door and then you have this really bad animation of the Terminator coming up towards the door. And I just thought, why wasn't there a Terminator shaped tennis ball just there for they, Carl or Michael to actually use. They didn't have CGI, God, like, dude. It was 1984. <laughs> no, but what I'm saying is have something there to give him like a reference as to where the animation would be. Oh, I see. Yeah, well, I think, well, I presume they might have. I don't know. Maybe not, but uh, yeah, it's weird. But yeah, it's kind of weird that all the techniques that we know in terms of special effects don't work and by our standards, it's surprising how well this holds up, considering how primitive. I mean, it is stop motion, like Ray Harryhausen style at the end, once it becomes the endoskeleton. Um, but again, we'll talk about that probably a little bit more later on. I've definitely got notes about uh, the special effects and things. But uh, yeah, so I've, I've exhausted my notes on the acting. Did you guys have anything else you wanted to add? Not really. No, that's, that's think pretty so. much it. But every, everybody in this is kind of a, when you look at them now, they're a kind of legend in the genre. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's a fantastic mm. cast, even even with Brian Thompson, who you're apparently not very fond of. But uh, yeah, I don't, I don't dislike him. I just think, really, this guy you has just, an equity card. You just hold Mortal Kombat Annihilation against him, clearly. Yeah. <laughs> Anybody that was in Mortal Kombat Annihilation, I hold that against them. Valid. Uh, no, I did read that this film gave a lot of actors their big breaks, like it mm. put them on the oh. map, so to speak. That's the other thing I did want to mention, DK, because you kind of alluded to it in the behind the scenes that, um, yeah, James Cameron, to get the movie made, apparently had Lance Henriksen dress as the Terminator in like yeah. the clothes that he wears at the start of the movie. And instead of doing any kind of pitching, you would send him in sort of 10, 15 minutes earlier than Cameron. And he would just walk in, look intimidating, sit down, say nothing. And then Cameron yeah. would walk in and tell them. And I was like, they are really lucky that that paid off and didn't just result in like Henriksen getting <laughs> arrested or something, you know? <laughs> 
yeah. Anyway, so uh, yeah, we'll move on to the the writing slash plot next. And uh, DK, this seems like a good time to uh, throw it over to you because you did definitely have something about this. Yes. Yeah, it's a, it's it's a little long, but it's going on to the uh, acknowledgement acknowledging the works of Harlan Ellison. Oh uh, yes, I know this story. <laughs> yeah, it's for anybody that that don't know. I mean, I'm I'm I am quoting an article here from Comic Book Resources, but it is pretty well sourced. This one, so uh, yeah, James Cameron versus Harlan Ellison. You know, this is where you probably insert that "let them fight" gif, but. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, Harlan Ellison wasn't happy with this. I mean, as as it goes, Cameron can be innovative, and yeah, it's it's one of those movies that is kind of a milestone in the genre. But Harlan Ellison wasn't having any of it. He uh, he slapped him with a lawsuit, claiming it was uh, a ripoff of his two Outer Limit scripts, Demon with a Glass Hand and Soldier. It didn't help when on the set, Tracy Tormey asked uh, Cameron where he got the idea for the Terminator from. And apparently Cameron was quoted as saying, oh, I ripped off a couple of Harlan Ellison stories. See, I, I, I've heard that that's very apocryphal and not true. But you know. Yeah, but then we've got a, another, another thing with, uh, with a defense attorney for uh, Harlan Ellison, uh, an interview in Starlog magazine. It says, after a week after my attorney contacted Hendale, I got a call from the editor of Starlog. Turned out Cameron had given an interview, and after I began inquiring at Hemdale, the Terminator producer, Gail Ann Hurd, sent Starlog a legal demand to see the interview. According to Ellison, Gail Ann Hurd then modified Starlog's article on the Terminator. She omitted a quote from Cameron in the article that read, I took a couple of Outer Limits segments. The reason that the Starlog editor had contacted Ellison was to provide him with the original version of the article, the one without Gail and Hurd's editing. Said Ellison, at this point, we went to Hendale and to Orion and we said, I'm afraid we've got him with a smoking gun. Now, do you want to do something about this or do you want us to whip your ass in open court? We'd be perfectly happy to do it either way. Between the account of Tracy Tormey and the Starlog interview, the attorneys for Hendale and Orion quickly realised that they wanted no part of a lawsuit. By Ellison's accounts, they took one look at this ship and their attorney said settle. Now, it's disputed exactly how much Ellison got beside the acknowledgement credit. He said 60 to 70, 65 to 70,000, but other reports said it was closer to 400,000 all said and done. Now, the fact that they settled on a relatively weak infringement claim, uh, it says the article does suggest that Ellison's not lying when he says that the Cameron comment was edited out of the Starlog article. That's a huge smoking gun. Hemdale, the financiers of the film, and Orion were willing to go to court, but only if Cameron was willing to pay them if they lost. Cameron later said, it was a nuisance suit that could easily have been fought. I expected Hemdale and Orion to fight for my rights, but they abandoned me. The insurance company told me if I didn't agree to the settlement, they would come after me personally for the damages if they lost the suit. Having no money at the time, I had no choice but to agree to the settlement. Of course, there was a gag order as well, so I couldn't tell this story, but now I frankly don't care. It's the truth. Harlan Ellison is a parasite who can kiss my ass. So, yeah, it's it's down to who you believe. As I say, I, I did do similar kind of, well, not for this episode, but I know this kind of story because I know this film quite well. And yeah, the most recent kind of James Cameron stance on it seems to be, 
you know, Ellison was just a complete chancer. And I really, he says he resents the fact that his name is on this movie. And if it was, you know, if it was now, we would absolutely have fought it. But he was basically pressurized into just taking the settlement and being done with it. And then it was out of the way. But yeah, I mean, it's James Cameron and Harlan Ellison, two of the famous yeah. least likable people in, in uh, <laughs> yes. you know, writing and Hollywood and whatever else you want to say. So it is and- kind of like, you know. <laughs> And when you look at things like Avatar, it's not completely out of the realms of fiction for Cameron to have taken an idea from someplace else. No, but likewise, we did our review of The City on the Edge of Forever, so we also know how Harlan Ellison likes oh, yeah. to claim Harlan a lot of... Oh, yeah, Harlan be an absolute asshole sometimes. And I he kind of likes to claim that a lot of ideas that aren't his were his works of genius as well, you know? Yeah, so, but yeah. Ha- having a look at the plot of Soldier, it, it, it is... There are similarities there, it, it, you know, it can be said, and having Cameron come out and say this only after Ellison's past seems a bit, I don't know. Well, yeah, it's one of those weird ones, but I do tend to believe that whether it's partly inspired by that or not, that I, I believe Cameron's story that he kind of woke up in a fever during the making of Piranha 2 and had this image of a metal, you know, human skeleton in fire, you know, emerging to attack him. And yeah, I mean, like I said, from there, maybe he got the time travel plot from Soldier or whatever else, but... I don't believe it's a, it's that egregious, but like I said, these two people are not the best humans anyway, so it's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who, it's, ultimately, it's, it's, who do you root for in this, really? Yeah. Whoever wins, we lose. <laughs> Precisely, to bring it back to Alien versus Predator, but uh, yeah. So no, that was an interesting sort of uh, weird thing to know. It is worth noting, and I'm kind of glad we have it down for posterity, but... Uh, yeah, to get kind of back into the the writing, then uh, did you have any other more general thoughts about the film that aren't about who wrote what? <laughs> yeah, uh, I do like the little line from uh, Reese that says, you know, one possible future where mm. Connor's asking him, and yeah, he, there is some corn, as I said, some you know a little corny dialogue, but there's some fucking gems in there. Uh, the the little passage which says. Thank you, Sarah, for your courage of the dark years. I can't help you with what you must soon face except to say that the future is not set. You must be stronger than you imagine you can be. You must survive or I will never exist. Uh, I was contacted actually today by a friend who went through quite a traumatic childhood. Well, I say childhood, teen years. And they told me that that quote above everything else that they can remember in media got them through some of the darkest times. That's fair enough. Yeah. So, Will, what about you? Did you have any sort of general thoughts on the, the writing, the overall plot of the movie? Yeah, since we're not going in order of where these scenes actually come into it, I may as well just jump to the ending. Um, I like it. how they go for like the defensive slash offensive route of the film uh, now to structure. For example, the ending is far more rewarding <clears throat> for me yeah. since the first two acts always have Sarah and Kyle on the defense. They make love, have a streak of intelligent luck, and become determined to defeat the Terminator Whereas for the opening hour, it was a relentless charge from the Terminator. Uh, Amazingly depicted in Sarah's hopelessness when at the police station and the Terminator takes away any hope she had by killing every single person that was willing to help her other than the then Mad Hat Kyle. So I thought um, that was sublime. And I think that was a shift in point in their relationship between Sarah and Kyle. And that's where um, the love story kind of did prevail, in my opinion. Yeah, it kind of contradicts what you said earlier about, you know, um, Sarah being a very feminine, um, no, what's the word? Feminist um, hero. Feminist hero and whatever, when 
um, in the police station. Cole does come to her rescue, and that's like the the next twenty minutes of the film. He just protects her and whatever. He gets her out of that sticky situation. However, like you guys did mention towards the uh, start of the review, uh, thankfully it does take that turn when Cole is like taken out of the equation and she can can kind of come back into it. It was just at that moment she really needed him, and yeah. um, that makes everything that comes after afterwards more plausible in my opinion yeah i think it's more that he had to kind of teach her her you know the things that she was going to have to know going forward because it is telling that yeah. she starts speaking in his language like i do think it's key that she to try to get to him get on your feet soldier and she's kind of learned the that dialogue and that way of talking to people so exactly yeah. they're always on edge even though like he instills that in her even when they're like making love for example when the terminator mm. comes up to their uh, motel they're already one step ahead. Like they can't have that sense of like calmness and no urgency. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's the, the film's kind of like that. I mean, that's one of the things that I kind of like about it is that it is very pacey, if that makes sense. It, it never seems to slow down. So you always yeah. get this, it kind of fits the title character because there is this relentless sense that something's in the background coming for you and it just keeps moving and it will not stop. And the film itself kind of uh, is like that, which is like, I, I, personally would have included a lot of the deleted scenes in the movie because I like them but by the same token I'm not a director and it probably helps the pace that you know it's down to I think it's only an hour and 40 minutes in, in length something like that it's a really and short it, film yeah yeah which by our standards is a really short film by 1984 standards is probably average but mm. uh yeah it's just weird because I think there's no fat on it basically there's no scene where you're like well you could have cut that you could have cut that and uh, quite the opposite there's things I might have added but yeah, uh, that was sort of a writing thing. Besides that at the start, to... though, I think there were quite a few meandering scenes. And I did research this just before I jumped on. And I was like, I don't want to make an ass of myself. So I researched it. And apparently some people do think some of the scenes at, uh, towards the start, I can't name any examples, but um, they were a bit surplus to requirements. It kind of took a few minutes too long to actually get into uh, the meat of the story. And oh, I do good. think the pace of the start, was a bit meandery so perhaps that was the reason because of those scenes that didn't really add much to the plot i'm not sure see i don't know if there is anything that i would say that because i think it's all set up that takes you like as far as i can remember there's a lot of kind of there's a few scenes in the future which i love all of those scenes because they look incredible especially considering they're all model shots basically as well it's just Mm. oh exceptional um so i love anytime you do that and then it's just basically setting up sarah and like i said the fact that she's put upon and run down and has a kind of crap life and then you're setting up that coupled with the terminator going around knocking on doors to find the right sarah connor so i don't think there's anything that's superfluous in those scenes it's set Mm. up for stuff that would be important but yeah yeah, because he's just checking the phone book and going down, you know, each Sarah Connor in order. <laughs> it's mad how if she hadn't found her roommate, then uh, everything would have been okay. Uh, the Terminator just killed her, and then he, like, uh, hears her on the answer machine. And I was like, oh, well, the movie could have ended after about 10 minutes if she just didn't call. Yeah, but she called because she was freaked out by seeing the fact that people called Sarah Connor were getting killed. So that's yeah, another one of those. Sort of, happens, uh... The Terminator would be like, oh, yeah, I killed her. I came to the address, killed her, now I'm gone. Well, he didn't know that she was Sarah Connor. I'm presuming he would have figured it out by looking at ID or whatever, the same as he was able to figure out. Well, actually, Perhaps. that's one of the deleted uh, one of the deleted scenes, which I will bring up now, um, is that the Terminator kind of walking away from the older Sarah Connor, the first one that he kills, when he kind of busts in the house and shoots her down. And it's very subtle, but he seems to kind of realize that she wasn't the right Sarah because, like, nothing's changed. He's still there, and the timeline hasn't altered. 
So sense, yeah. he, he kind of walks back to the police car and starts continuing looking for the right Sarah Connor. So I do think that there's a kind of, he wouldn't have been like, well, I killed her, everything's fine. It would have been like, well, oh crap, I'm still here. Guess I still didn't kill the right person. So hmm. yeah, um, but yeah, fair enough. Um, what did you think though, Will? I did want to bring this up being kind of the, the Doctor Who nerds that we are. What did you think of the kind of time travel plot and the idea that it is, it's a giant bootstrap paradox and a self-fulfilling prophecy that... Because a lot of people have trouble wrapping their head around the fact that yeah, John I, has to yeah. send Kyle back so that Kyle can have sex with his mom and then John <laughs> can be born kind of thing. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you put it like that, uh, I, well, I thought it was a really simple kind of... Um, with Doctor Who, it's very easy to get convoluted and, you know, continuity mistakes and whatever. Whereas with this, it seems very run-of-the-mill doctor who plot yeah. of like bootstrap paradoxes and whatever so it really didn't matter to me and i just thought it was yeah pretty basic and it, it was effective in doing so yeah it works for me and i know a lot of people that are not like as heavily versed in sci-fi including my mum, who really like like it and have no problem understanding it but likewise i've had really frustrating conversations uh, with people who have said like well if John had to send Kyle Reese back to impregnate his mom. Then who was there to send him back? And I'm like, that's the nature of the kind of, you know, the, yeah. the predestination paradox. It's because you just what have to get. to do is going to cause that in the future. So it, as long as it, it, there's no metagame factor of what he's about to do, he's yeah. able to do it up until that point. Exactly. Yeah. It's uh, it, it's weird, but it, it helps me to. Um, to visualize it and stuff. There's a brief line in of all places, Star Trek Voyager, where I think it's Janeway says one of the most difficult concepts to grasp with time travel is that sometimes effect can precede cause. And I was like, yeah, yeah. see, that's all you really need to know. <laughs> he was born so that he could send it back so that he could be born. The effect came before the cause, but it's all one big loop. So it all still happens. And, you know, precisely. What about you, DK? Did you uh, have any trouble understanding that? Are you kind of on board with us nerds? No, I kind of. I... I mean, I saw this at a very young age. I really probably shouldn't have been watching it back then, but yeah, <laughs> I uh, I kind of picked up on on it straight away. Yeah, that's fair enough. Yeah, I do. I, I love the lore of these movies, particularly well, the first two. That's not really it, yeah, kind of falls apart after that, unfortunately. But yeah, I do love the lore and the idea that it is a head trip, and yet so cool that like Kyle Reese is John's father. It's not like. You know, I, I sent him back to protect her. You've got to because he's the one that's going to be your dad. And, uh, you know, your, your your father is, you know, younger than you and whatever else. But, uh, yeah, ultimately, I guess you could say that uh, Sarah Connor got sperminated. Oh, God. <laughs> and somebody did make a note that this is the only film in the franchise, spoiler alert, where mere humans oppose Terminators. Every other one has, you know, some kind of Terminator involvement. Uh, yeah. I don't know about you guys, but I liked that the action sequences were split up with like Sarah and Reese going to the cops and things like that. So it, it did seem to give you, although things were relentless, there was a bit of a slowdown to breathe. And uh, I appreciated that. But yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think there were only like three major kind of action sequences and they were all like dispersed there was one at the very end there was one in the police station about a third of the way through and then you yeah. have the a brilliant the phenomenal car chase sequence um probably about two thirds of the way through oh that's so, interesting because i would say my favorite action sequence was the actual end from when it starts to melt his into his endoskeleton but it's interesting that you yeah. preferred the car chase that's fair enough 
ironically, I think it um, plays out similar to Megan, you know, the horror film that came out this year or last oh, year. Oh, yeah, Megan is a rip-off of The Terminator. It completely. is a rip-off of The Terminator, yeah. It reminded me of that. <laughs> yeah, very, very. Yeah, as soon as I was watching Megan and that was happening towards the end and she's gradually going, you know, bit by bit getting reduced down, I was like, yeah, I saw The Terminator as well. And then it rips off yeah. Aliens for added measure as well. Yes, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, anyway... Um, so yeah, the, the only other thing I wanted to bring up then with regards to the writing, uh, and it's over to you, I think, DK, you might have something about this, I'm not sure, but yeah, that iconic line, Schwarzenegger's line, he was going to say, I, I will come back, I believe was scripted, and then he didn't yeah. want to say, I'll be back. And uh, yeah, so, yeah, he said, I mean, he, he said that he didn't want to use the contraction, plus he said it sounded too feminine. I'm not sure... Mm where that came into play but yeah he, he he said i he wanted to say i will be back and cameron was having none of it the irony being that i'll be back is now schwarzenegger's personal catchphrase that's used in yeah. multiple of his movies not just the terminator ones but uh yeah yeah well we uh while we're on the subject of catchphrases there are certain things that have come to be used with varying degrees of success uh in the terminator movies the other one of course being come with me if you want to live um which, you know, it's it's kind of like who's going to say, I have a bad feeling about this in Star Wars. You watch a Terminator movie, you're wondering who's going to say, come with me if you want to live. Um, but I like it. It's kind of cool, I think. <laughs> and in the gun show, when he says, oh, you can do that, and he says, wrong, and then just shoots him up. That was uh, hilarious. <laughs> See, that's my uh, favourite. Wrong. But, yeah, wrong. That's right. Well, we, we'll get to the end about, like, favourite um, character moment and line, because we, we tend to... But, uh... Yeah, but yeah, I mean, that's that's fair enough. I can't really think of uh, much else to say. So do you guys have anything else about the writing or not? It's it, it's kind of halfway between writing and directing. Go for it. Uh, it's, it's just, it's very much got the look of many movies around that time, especially around mm. the uh, flashback slash flash forwards. But the difference, I think, how this has remained you know, uh, a milestone is you get the impression that Cameron really cared about this story. A lot of those at the time were less innovative and they were more concerned with cashing in on the current trend. And as much as I'm not a big fan of Cameron in general, I, uh, I've i got to give him respect for that, that he wasn't just trying to do the next Star Wars and he wasn't just, you know, back then he wasn't trying to do fantasy films. It was, uh, yeah, I mean, it is very much, a, it's not the juggernaut that it turned into. It's still a very kind of low budget. Well, I wouldn't say it's low budget, especially not for the time. But you can see it's it's, it's yeah. It's, but when you compare it to what it what it blossomed into, it's very much of its time. But I think the difference how this stuck around is just that he actually gave a damn about it. Yeah. See, I think that's the thing. It it wasn't just a low budget kind of cash in, just make something. And because, you know, for better or worse, Cameron doesn't seem to look down on sci-fi as a genre and things like time travel and the horror sort of trappings, which a lot of people would, they'd be like, oh, I'm stuck making a B movie, you know. I mean, he, he did study under Corman, didn't he? So he did. He yeah. brought those sensibilities with him. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think it shows. Uh, so, yeah, you're both happy to move on to talking about some uh, the direction then, talking of uh, yeah. Cameron? So, uh, Will, we'll come to you first again as the kind of first-time viewer, and uh, I don't think you've seen that many James Cameron films, but what did you think of the direction of this one? I think uh, one of you mentioned it about the fever dream that he supposedly had, or he claims he had, and whatever, and mm. one of the uh, things was that uh, the Terminator, like, 
comes out of the flames and whatever. Yes. And um, I think that was probably the best realized moment in the entire film. And I think um, it's not a surprise if that was like the the whole reason why the film was made for that one yeah. moment, for that fever dream, because that moment kicks ass. And yeah. um, it's just sublime. It's beautiful. And it's the, one of the instances where the animation actually looks really bloody good. Yeah, um, I will say, yeah, Cameron has got, you can kind of look, I think, and there's uh, there's versions of it that he drew this apparently when he woke up and you can see that that does exist, that sort of drawing that he made of the skull coming through fire, which again kind of refutes Ellison's you ripped me off argument, but we're not going to get into that again. But uh, So yeah, I think that was the key image that he definitely, that was the genesis of the idea and he liked it so much that he uses, uses it for the entire opening credits of Terminator 2. So, you know. <laughs> um, and on the topic of directing and whatever, and I think I mentioned this earlier about the police, I've mentioned this a couple times actually, uh, the police station sequence, I love it so much and I think uh, the shot selection was uh, sublime so you have the um you have low shots you have aerial shots as well of when the terminator comes in you don't see much of him but when you do see him you have a lot of over the shoulder shots you have a lot of high shots uh whereas conversely um when you're with like the police officers and whatever they're all sitting down so when you get the perspective shots you're always looking up at the terminator and i thought that was like a really really good uh decision yes. because between every cut there was like a stark contrast between the uh, where the shot was positioned and it works really well without being jarring, which was a surprise. Yeah, absolutely. Fully agree with you. Um, what about you, DK? Any general direct uh, direction thoughts, sir? Uh, yeah, following on from Will, I did love that police shootout scene because you almost feel like you're there with Sarah, that just all this shit's happening and you're just wanting out of it. I think yeah. that was tremendously directed. But I also like the, uh, the fact that a lot of... I mean, obviously it wasn't planned, but a lot of guerrilla shooting took place on this, which I think adds to the uh, the general sense of tension throughout the film. Mm. The, in that yeah. uh, they, they couldn't get licenses for a lot of the film, or they didn't even try and get licenses for a lot of the film because <laughs> they didn't have any money. And so just basically turned up in the middle of the night with a camera, shot what they could, and then, you know, got, got the hell out of Dodge. Yeah, that's fair enough. Cool. Um, yeah, well, I just had a few notes that I wanted to bring up. First of all, um, as I was kind of alluding to, to, to kind of reinforce my point that it's almost a horror film, I think it's worth noting that there are the fake jump scares, which we are now tired of in these films. Um, but more importantly, you see things from the killer's point of view uh, with the now famous like Terminator vision, uh, which I think is quite telling as well. It's obvious that that's kind of why that's there. Um, the things like, you know, the police denying and saying it's probably a guy on PCP or whatever, uh, is another sort of trope of that genre. Uh, but I just think it has the look and the tone and the general feel of a horror movie, the way that it ramps up to the final act showdown, like I mentioned. Um, but yeah, and as we already touched on, tech noir being a sort of, I guess, dark, grainy look uh, is maybe a, a staple of this new genre. And I think it is quite gritty in a way that the other one, the other one's much more of a slick action movie uh, that Cameron directed T2, but yeah. Um but yeah, in terms of Cameron, then the future war scene is uh, first of all fantastic opening, but it also seems to have a lot of the James Cameron trademarks for me, like advanced technology and like blue lighting and blue crackling lightning is another thing that turns up in this and Aliens and T two, and it, it seems very Cameron esque. It's perhaps these uh, things that mark him out as an auteur, <laughs> but 
Yeah, so I was wondering if you guys had similar thoughts. Does does this look like a Cameron film? Did you spot things that made you think, oh, I recognise that from somewhere else or, or what? It does have similar lighting and obviously the uh, the actors. It, it, it's got a sim it's got a vibe about it. It settles in, especially his uh, you know, his work in the eighties with think, you know, the Abyss and T two mm. and stuff like that. Not not so much things like Titanic. No, but yeah, I mean that's not really the but then again, I mean, even Titanic in the last act becomes a very survival against the odds Cameron action horror kind of movie to us. Especially with points. the Titanic splitting scene. It reminded yeah. me of that scene when um they teleport in the, well, we teleport through the future and whatever, time travel. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, I mean, like I said, I love so much about those scenes in the, the future, including the, the the transition of the treads running over the human skulls to the kind of the, the current day, whatever it is, JCB thing with treads, or that Sarah going to sleep and then us flashing then to see the base and the survivors and the dogs that were able to sniff out the um Terminator that was the basic, more more basic model that was played by a friend of Schwarzenegger's. I really like all of those scenes. And again, I wouldn't remove any of them from the, the film, but yeah. Um, so the next, the next sort of point I wanted to bring up to you guys is, do you think the film is violent? Because I was surprised watching it back because I have a memory of it being quite horror and violent. And yet it seems like it's quite tame. It, a lot of the stuff's not shown or it's played off screen. Um, yeah. So what did you think about that? Do you think it's a violent movie at times? Is there anything that's too far? Will, start with you. <laughs> well, I think the death count is very high. So I would definitely say that it's a violent film, especially with um, all the authority, like the police officers being killed and whatever. So it doesn't I, show I, you them getting gunned down, though, in fairness, does it really? Does it not? I, uh, no. I it kind of. Not brutally. I mean, I've seen much more brutal kind okay, of mass murder killing type scenes. But I did, well, similarly, I did like how you guys reviewed John Wick recently. I do like how the people in the clubs actually did react to the violence and not like in John Wick where they just like watch yeah. Matt <laughs> homicide and just dance to it. Um, yeah. So I think for that club sequence where she calls the police for the first time, um, that was pretty, well, that was very violent, even though the attention was only on one person. Um, I think a lot of people were calling the crossfire. So. Yeah, I I kind of get I kind of get your point. There's not so much blood, and like when you did see someone get gunned down, it was usually from behind them. I noticed, so yeah. it I, implies I, a lot of violence, which it doesn't quite show. But I think it still sticks with you weirdly, so it's effective. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I love that club sequence. By the way, I love that Cameron switches to slow mo to show basically Sarah going through that motion of oh shit and oh, that, yeah. you know that's that so tense many moments moment that when you mention it, I just think oh that's just peak. <laughs> it's, a, it's a fantastic yeah. film. It's a fantastic film. It is very well made and directed. But um, yeah, so what about you in terms of the violence, DK? How did you respond to it? Like uh, Will was saying, I. There would have been a time when I, I thought this was particularly violent, but having watched John Wick, it's it's kind of nothing now, really. And and yeah. and that's that's probably a harsh indictment in its own. Yeah, you know, yeah, maybe desensitized. Yeah, yeah. I mean, fun fact about the police station: they mentioned that there's thirty cops. It does actually show thirty cops getting hit by bullets. It does, but then in Terminator 2, it says that it the says Terminator 17. killed 17 people. Yeah. <laughs> so a lot of them survived, apparently. <laughs> He's just a bit shit. Yeah. As, as Terminators yeah. go, 
you know, those are rookie <laughs> numbers. You got to pump those numbers up. You no, know, I, I thought it was weird because at the opening, well, not the opening, but the start of the movie, there is that guy getting his heart ripped out, and yet you don't see it. It happens off screen, and I was like, that's so weird because I remember that way more viscerally than it actually happens. And even the killing of the first Sarah Connor is completely off screen. It switches to slow mo, and you don't really see anything. There are a couple of things that I think push the envelope a bit, though. Uh, the first one of those is in one of the future flashes. It shows one of the resistance soldiers literally getting blown apart, which shocked me because I didn't remember that at all. And I was like, wow, okay, woof. <laughs> that was a bit much. Um, and obviously the Terminator, the T-800 gouging out its own eye is potentially gory, except for the fact that whatever bloody dummy that they put in is just thoroughly unconvincing to modern eyes, which I always get. Uh, that's one thing I was disappointed at in terms of, Introducing you to this movie, Will, I was like, he's not going to love that scene because it has aged dreadfully. It's clearly a yeah. dummy. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Did you think that way or were you kind of like, oh, I can suspend disbelief? I cannot suspend disbelief. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair enough. Fair enough. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, just to bring up some other things, I like that, as I said, there's a lot of slow pans revealing things. Uh, there's a few too many shots, though, of just framing a face. So you can tell that it's early in Cameron's career. He hasn't learned how to be dynamic and to not just do extreme close-ups whenever characters have dialogue. Um, I, I do know that the movie gets bright as soon as we see Sarah and her world gradually gets darker. As I've mentioned, I love things like the slow zooming and the dramatic tension. Um, I, I was curious where the T-800 got the sweet new leather jacket and shirt for the end of the movie, but again, <laughs> we'll uh, we'll break out the Joel gift for that one just for you, DK. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, yeah, and I just loved little touches like the glowing red eyes on the uh, the Terminators in, in the future Flash and on uh, Arnie, even as they are in full form. I just think it's exquisite and uh, showing Sarah's picture burning, you know, to, to cut to her then in the present day is another great like transition. And there's a lot yeah. of those kind of things. So yeah, kudos to Cameron. It turns out director that knows what he's doing. So ha, any last Believe it or thoughts? not, after reading your Way of Water review, heard a trap. Well, I just didn't like that one film. <laughs> but, yeah. I've I've on a film. Well, I haven't watched it yet. I've got it on video or on the DVD in the other room, but I can't bring myself to watch it. But having said that, Cameron insists that he didn't really direct most of that. It was one of those things where the producer barged in, took over and did yeah, most of the work. And then, you know, so Cameron didn't have a lot of say. He was just sat there like, well, I guess I'm yet to pick up a paycheck. So, <laughs> but, um, yeah, but no, I'm a huge James Cameron fan. I always have been. And, uh, the Way of Water is the first one of his movies that I've utterly thought was was bad. I mean, I adore Terminator 2, Aliens, True Lies. I love Titanic even. Um, the first Avatar's fine, as you'll know if you've watched our review. It's, you know, it's not bad. But uh, yeah, I mean, come on. Anybody who, three movies in a row, more or less, apart from the abysses in there. But yeah, Terminator, Aliens and Terminator 2, just absolute genre legend but anyway <laughs> uh, any last notes on uh, Cameron or in direction in general before we move to VFX did like the uh, <clears throat> the you know obviously inspired by things like Carpenter's Halloween you know each time that you think the Terminator is done away with and it yep. comes back yeah that's what I mean it was, I really did like and that's why I love that final scene as the way that it is so relentless starts off with the really cool effect of Schwarzenegger, which I really love the effect. It's, it's thoroughly convincing, which shocked me for the time where he's got the little, what looks like the metal giving way underneath the skin at first. Um, and then obviously, yes. you know, they, they resort to stop motion as soon as he's burned to just the endoskeleton. But then, like I said, she splits that in half and it still keeps coming. And then she thinks she's 
you know, destroyed it and it still keeps coming. And in the end, she has yeah. to full on, you know, press it with one of those uh, machine presses to crush it into nothing. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. I know it's only a minor thing as well, but I love the opening credits. They're so understated yeah, the with the Fidel's music. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's almost nondescript. It doesn't really prepare you for what's coming. Again, it has that early 80s, low budget. This isn't going to be that, you know, straight to video kind of vibe. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I just, I just love it. I just love it. I love, atmosphere. I love it when uh, I love any movie that begins with a little sort of, uh, you know, overly dramatic bit of exposition, like in the year of darkness. <laughs> and I love the fact that the Terminator poster actually has a little bit of that on it as well. <laughs> Look at that exposition. Yeah. The tagline is like, in the year of darkness, the machine sent back one thing through time that would, and it was called the Terminator. I'm like, that's a long ass tagline. <laughs> that's basically a plot synopsis. You know? <laughs> but, uh, Anyway, so uh, no, but I do agree with you, Michael. Back to the final scene where uh, she's crushing him. Uh, I do like yeah. how um, it was. It felt very claustrophobic with um, mm. the hands coming through the bars, and then uh, Sarah was pushed back against the wall and whatever. Oh, it, it almost gets it her. Felt yeah. So con like condensed into one tiny little room, and you and I thought, even though he's behind the bar, he's still strong enough and durable to be able to strangle her until the very final moment. Like it's being crushed but the light stays red for like the longest time until it literally is flat absolutely so and it like dies with its hand flat. like stretched out to try and get her which is yeah. quite telling you know right the last moment. just no thought for self-preservation or anything obviously it's just literally this is my target i'm this close <laughs> you know so yeah. it's it's brutal i like that yeah um, yeah but yeah, speaking of uh, the VFX, then obviously it goes without saying this is Stan Winston who did the practical effects, who is an absolute legend. Uh, if you don't know his work, look it up, but suffice to say, everything. So, <laughs> DK, I have a feeling you're a bit of a fan because I know he works with uh, the likes of uh, John Carpenter a bit and stuff, yeah? Yeah, I, I, I love Stan Winston. And yeah, it doesn't look great now a lot of the time, but I, I kind of look at it as, you know, the same way I look at Harryhausen movies. Practical effects, they'll always win me over. And I can appreciate just how much work went into this, even if it doesn't look that great to modernise. Yeah, that's fair enough. Um, I will say, I, I don't think it, a lot of it has dated that poorly. I think that one shot of the dummy in the self-repair scene has aged badly, but the rest of that scene is brilliant. And even the kind of half-face makeup, similar to my little profile avatar here, in the, the truck at the very end of the movie is, like, I can't see the join. It's flawless. And much respect to the, I think it's maybe Cameron or whoever was writing that came up with the idea of stop motion is very jerky. So let's just give the Terminator a limp before it becomes the endoskeleton so that we yeah. can disguise that jerkiness by it's got, it's dragging its foot because one of its like ankle pistons or whatever is broken. And I was like, that's okay. Cause that, that gives you a little ability to uh, accept that, I think, a bit easier, suspend that disbelief. So, But yeah, the stop motion, as you say, hasn't exactly aged fantastically, but I just love how iconic that endoskeleton design is. It's just so cool. It's still, you know, people still buy figures of it and merchandise that looks like it, and it's just a brilliant design. So kudos. <laughs> it's a fantastic design, and I think I, I agree with you just because of in the close-up shots, it does look fantastic when you actually get to see the details of it. Whereas with the wide shots, I did just like gravitate towards. Oh, uh, it doesn't. It just doesn't look good. Yeah, you you are a younger audience though, and you not probably aren't that used to technology pre CGI, as I said. So, I, I did have an inkling you'd probably find it a lot more like, oh, this is very ropey. Um, but you know, I don't think you would say it took 
huge amounts away from the movie still. So. No, 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 no. I'll put it this way. I preferred this to uh, Scorpion King. <laughs> oh, good Lord. I'd prefer eating my own shit to the Scorpion King. <laughs> <laughs> oh, anyway. I'll tell you that one, of course. <laughs> so, yeah, any other thoughts on the VFX? And then I'll switch to music after that. Um, well, I just thought the cyborg eye when um, Arnie was like still fleshed out, so to speak, uh, mm. like when he's looking in the mirror and it's just like, it's just so seamless. And I just thought that was exquisite and how they could like pull that off back in the day. You'd think there'd yeah. be a few lumps or like it was clearly like added on, but no, it literally looks like he was a cyborg. So it was, that was really impressive. I can't wait for you to see Terminator 2 because... The There's more of that. Just not so much that, but every one of the effects in it are groundbreaking, and it is it is the kind of the basis of every kind of effect, including CGI and stuff that we have now. And will, that still maybe, holds up. Yeah, maybe I'm biased, right. but to me, because it is like T2 is my favorite film of all time. But to me, I think every bit of that special effects and stuff holds up, even to modern audiences, considering it's 1991, and I think it all just looks amazing so i'm intrigued to see if you would agree or or not but we'll see watching this weekend awesome uh cool so yeah uh, we'll move on to the music and sound because we've already kind of mentioned but obviously the score by brad fidel how good is it that iconic main theme with the whole like do 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 the way it emphasizes you know machines and electronic in nature and being metallic and futuristic and it's also relentless just like the t800 and brings to mind like the jaws theme like that and uh yeah so that was my key thing is just fidel's kind of score you know yeah. <laughs> you said so yourself it's it's yeah. iconic it is it's iconic for a reason will what were you saying sorry? it feeds into the surrounding like things that occurs like you mentioned the machines is usually yeah. very in sync with um what we see on screen and i you know i really appreciate that yeah because it is like i said the the relentless pounding beat that i think it, it adds to your sense of tension of like oh good lord it's it's still coming something's out there and you know it helps that's that's music you know it, it, enhancing the experience i think so uh yeah Absolutely. but i didn't really have any other thoughts beyond that except yeah great fantastic iconic score there's nothing else for now then i did want to go over some of the deleted scenes if you guys don't mind I've not sure. seen them. But I'll just let you roll with it. Yeah, <laughs> I mean I'm they're on the Blu-rays. So you could watch them any time because that's all oh, I've yeah, got. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mentioned already the Terminator kind of seemingly realizing he's killed the wrong Sarah. There is an entire arc for Traxler, that is the Paul Winfield character, as he softens to Sarah and Kyle starts to believe Kyle Reese. And there's even a scene of him handing over his gun to Kyle Reese while he dies and insists that Kyle keeps Sarah alive no matter what, which explains uh, where Kyle gets the gun in the final act. Which, again, I don't think bothered anybody. Nobody was wondering, but it's interesting that that scene exists and is there. Um, there is a really long and important uh, scene that lasts four and a half minutes that I truly wish they'd kept in because it starts with Sarah telling her mother to stay at the cabin instead of coming for her, which explains another apparent plot hole. Then it has Sarah find the Cyberdyne systems themselves in the phone book and insist to Kyle that they go there to blow it up and prevent the whole future war. Now, obviously, DK, you and I know that these are ideas that would eventually happen in Terminator 2, but it does explain a little bit of the fact that they end up at what is a Cyberdyne factory in the final act, since it's likely yeah. that's where they were heading uh, with a convenient steel press. But there are also brilliant scenes of, of acting, like Sarah coming into her strength as she insists on this mission and Reese saying it's too tactically dangerous. And then she kind of exclaims she's a human being not a mission and she can't keep living in terror waiting on the armageddon coming and he breaks down with emotion at 
you know, I should never have seen the beauty of this world. The world I'm from isn't like this. And that's when you also get that repeated line, there's no faith but what we make for ourselves. And he kind of agrees to go along with it. So I did like that. And the final one was just at the factory after the showdown between Sarah and uh, the, you know, destruction of the T-800. Uh, an employee finds the chip from the T-800's arm that's been left there and uh, tells the chap that he's with to rush it to R&D. And we pan out to reveal that that place is Cyberdyne Systems, which again would have been an interesting setup for the sequel, which they kind of do later anyway. So, yeah. I'm going to start with favourite character then, and we'll begin with you, Will, and ask who was your favourite character of the movie. I'm just an evil, ruthless bastard. I'm going to pick the Terminator. <laughs> My word, that is a shocker for me, considering he doesn't have much of a character. But, um, <laughs> it's just the okay. one It's just the one <laughs> You know me. <laughs> I do. You are a heartless machine. But anyway, okay. <laughs> the Terminator. Uh, slightly worried about that. Won't be reporting to the psychiatrists <laughs> at all. But anyway. <laughs> DK, who was your favourite character in the movie? Uh, as much as it would have been Reese had you asked me earlier in life, I'm going to go with Sarah. She gets such an insane amount of character development in such a small time. Goes from being completely overwhelmed to being a survivor by the movie's end. She's got one hell of a character arc. Most would have collapsed completely under the pressure, including me. <laughs> yeah, and I, just, I already have this written down as notes, but I'm just echoing exactly what you said, which is that Sarah is my favourite character in the film. Her revolution in Terminator 2 is what's talked about, but I think it's already here that we see her grow from this waitress to badass and victim to final girl. And as you said, it's it's an actual character arc that we can track throughout the movie, which is a rarity in this day and age. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Awesome. Uh, so what was your favourite moment or scene, Will, you were going to tell us? You can't do that wrong. <laughs> the gun shop with uh, poor Dick of Miller course. at the beginning there. Fair enough. You you really do have a sadistic streak, don't you? But, uh, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> DK, what about you? Uh, when the endoskeleton steps out of the flames. I cannot tell you how much that oh, in my so imagination as a child. Leaves an impact. And it will be far scenes like that were everywhere. I give Cameron a lot of flack, but yeah, it's iconic. It is. What were you saying, Will? And that's not sadistic, Michael? Well, I mean, <laughs> it's admiring the uh, the, the direction. <laughs> <laughs> As was I. The yeah, no, that's fair enough. No, I get you, I get you. That's that's uh, understandable. <laughs> no, I, I like so many of the scenes, but I did have to you know narrow it down because I insist on doing it. And so I think my favourite is, as I kind of already said, the Technoir Club scene. The tension of like stalking through the hazy dark, the reveals of uh, you know Sarah and the Terminator, the iconic lines. That's where you get the "Come with me if you want to live." I just think it's perfection. That scene is is a masterclass in how to do things. Uh, so that would be the one I would pick. So finally, um, what would you say is your favorite line of the movie? And Will, we'll start with you. Is there a cop out to say I'll be back? Not at all. Not I at all. Use that. I will be back. Just because you also do it for the outro of your podcast itself. You know, <laughs> I, I'm repping your podcast here. Exactly, you are. It's a lovely bit of symmetry. Uh, cool. What about you, DK? Uh, it's listen and understand. That term oh. is, out, is out there. It can't be bargained with. It can't be reasoned with. It doesn't feel pity or remorse or fear. And it absolutely will not stop ever until you are dead. That's that, was literally, that was literally mine, and I actually have it here. <laughs> Listen and understand that Terminator is out there. 
It can't be bargained with. It can't be reasoned with. It doesn't feel pity or remorse or fear. And it absolutely will not stop ever until you are dead. Yeah, I love that as well because it just it gives you everything. You... sparingly for the final hours, so I do respect that. Was that was it? That was I. I, I just knew that I had that saved, and I was like, I'll, I'll <laughs> drop that because I could read it out, but I wouldn't have the delivery that uh, Michael Bean does on that line. And it is fantastic, DK. You're absolutely right. Did not expect you to pick the same thing as me, but that was a uh, pure accident. But uh, anyway, so we will eventually head to our conclusions and scores. But before we do that. We often throw things open to our audience to ask what you think of these things. And uh, again, this falls into DK's purview. So, DK, you've gathered the audience's response to uh, the Terminator, do you? Have I have, them yeah. There yep. I'll, uh, I'll start with uh, good old Adrienne on our Discord server. She says, this is one of my favorite movies to rediscover. I love future Sarah Connor so much. And here is where we meet her as the innocent waitress. Also, damn, but Michael Bean is hot. The last uh, <laughs> he... Uh, Minutes are action-packed, and I love every moment of the Jeep scenes. Mm. Uh, Sandy, also on our Discord, says, uh, The Terminator, it's an awesome action movie that I think even still holds up today, from iconic lines to iconic scenes. Arnold Schwarzenegger owns them all. I can't imagine anyone other than Linda Hamilton playing Sarah Connor, especially when we see the powerhouse she becomes in the next film. Spoilers. The action is intense from the car chases to the assault on the police station and finally the factory at the end. The time travel and futuristic layer solidifies the film as another masterpiece in James Cameron's, and then she's put in brackets, sorry, DK, belt. Now, uh, I, no, I've got, I do have to agree with her on that. Uh, L Gage1979 on the Discord says, I would agree, sci fi horror action all rolled into one. Definitely creates a huge paradox, though, kind of chicken and egg scenario. Interestingly enough, Schwarzenegger only had somewhere about 65 lines for the entire film, he wishes. Uh, I think that was a typo, to be fair. <laughs> well, Johnny W. Staggs says, uh, The first Terminator movie is still my favorite of the franchise. It's a tight story filled with atmosphere and suspense. It's my second favorite camera movie after Aliens. I saw it after I saw T2, though. I got the DVD from a friend, watched it, and loved it. Uh, Jamie says, Whilst not as good as T2, the first Terminator film is still fantastic. It's got fantastic action throughout, brilliant suspense, a really great pace, effects way ahead of its time, engaging characters, and it's just a, a brilliant film. It definitely does get overshadowed by the sequel, but the original is still absolutely fantastic. Uh, Sourish Guide, is that Theo? It is Theo, yeah, on our Discord. Yeah, he says, it's all right. Uh, <laughs> He did the Sam Millican Award for this week. Did. My, my brother did. didn't chime in this week for once. <laughs> yeah, and Christian says, I'll concur. It's all right. I think it lays a really good foundation <laughs> for the masterpiece that is T2. Uh, Lee Gage says, love the film. It uh, has one of my favorite delivered lines. And then he gives our favorite line. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> This is, but if you're doing Terminator, I beg of you, dive into the paradox of time travel. John sends Reese back to protect Sarah before John is born, but because Reese is John's father, how did John exist in the future to send Reese yeah, back? We, we well, did we talk about that, and we didn't have an issue. No. <laughs> oh, I didn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> I did. <laughs> you can take that flat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Taking the heat off us for once. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> Glad to be back, guys. 
<laughs> We've got another whipping boy. It's awesome. Uh, Great. Paul says, I watched uh, one and two for the first time recently for, for a film club. Oh, wow. Terminator is a good action film, but I don't think it would be particularly special if it wasn't the first of this. What? If it wasn't the first of the series. Story is okay. Performances are good, but not amazing. It does launch Cameron's and Schwarzenegger's careers, though, and is noticeable for that. I think we've got a hot take award. I was I much... just going to say, that's that's getting a hot take award there. <laughs> I much preferred Terminator 2. It feels more sci-fi and has better performances, effects, etc. And we've got a couple here from Letterboxd. Uh, the first one is uh, from Demi. It says, I don't think I've ever seen a film with better storytelling. Next to zero expository dialogue in the first act, everything is set up through action and done so perfectly. One of Cameron's best. Alec on Letterboxd says, uh, with impressive action sequences, fantastic direction and relentlessly fast pacing, it's clear why this movie is still an influence on sci-fi flicks to this very day. And uh, Paul on Letterboxd says, the economy of storytelling in this is just unreal. Quite honestly, zero wasted moments. Every single piece is building on one idea or moment or bridging to the next. The last budget strap movie he ever made, and as much as I love what he does on a grand scale, I'd be so fascinated to see Cameron make something this stripped down again. Mm -hmm. The ability to imply scope and scale is what makes high aspirations slash low budget sci-fi work. And all the stops are being put out here to make it all feel comprehensive. And I'm going to give special shout out to Paul on that one because he agrees that it was low budget. Too. It was low budget. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, yeah. Okay. And uh, was that everything? Yeah. <laughs> that's that's all we have this this time. Awesome. Well, I did have a quick question for when we conclude our conclusions and score, but uh, <laughs> we will start with that. And uh, as we tend to do, we'll start with our guest. Will uh, you are back new to the podcast, but you know the drill. Do you have a conclusion and a score out of five stars for us, please? I do. And I know my Top Gun is not just solid. So my conclusion is as follows. Um, a, an overall fantastic film that falls just shy of a perfect score because, uh, because of its brief dialogue shortcomings and mostly bad animations. I'm sorry, Mike. Uh, the cast is wholly inspired and the crew knocked out of the park depicting a bleak world merging with our quote-unquote reality into bringing the bleakness along with it and as such i give terminator a 4.5 out of 5. fantastic can't, can't say fairer than that really but uh, yeah i'm really pleased you liked it as i said considering i introduced you to it this is for the first time so i have a feeling um, terminator is just gonna be out i went out five out of five I really hope so, because like I said, it is my favourite movie of all time. It's I've always said that when I worked at a cinema, briefly we were told to tell them my favourite movie to put on our badge, and my badge said Michael Terminator 2. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah. Then again, we did disagree with Alien and Aliens. I prefer Alien because it's such a phenomenally and like effective horror, whereas Aliens yeah. goes too actiony for me. So maybe we'll disagree again. Who knows? We'll maybe see. Maybe, um, yeah. Maybe not. don't, don't, don't go in expecting just the greatest thing because that the only way to go no. is disappointment <laughs> after that. But uh, that's cool. Fair enough. Awesome. Uh, DK, then your conclusion and your score out of five, please. Yeah, I've just got to say, well, I prefer Alien to Aliens too, and I still yeah. think T two is T two is better. So yeah, okay, so, interesting. Hopefully, you enjoy that one. Uh, yeah, I've put. It's difficult to imagine now. Where the Terminator is, dodgy franchise entries notwithstanding, a, uh, a juggernaut. But prior to the sequel, when this was first released, it was a relatively small picture, so much so that the company behind it spent virtually no money on marketing. 
There was no big hoopla in the school playground on this one as there had been with Empire Strikes Back or Robocop. It was just something a few lucky people had seen. It was low budget, it was grimy, but it blew our minds. It's been just shy of 40 years since that time, and we've had so many sequels, imitations, homages, and plain old knockoffs since then, that it's hard to put into words just how jaw-droppingly awesome this thing was at the time. And while we may have had something similar in other creative fields, as movies go, this was a game-changer. Story's a compelling one, three leads give great performances, drawing you into the world and the direction for someone on their official first feature, is outstanding. I may not get along with Cameron's fixations nowadays, but there's no denying that back during this era, he was legendary. Fidel's soundtrack is as memorable as anything that Morricone produced, and while, yes, the FX haven't aged well at all, I can appreciate the artistry that went into them. It's considered a classic for a reason, and while I may not return to it as much as I do other movies from that era, it will always hold a special place in my heart. And I've also given it four and a half. Fair enough. Um, also, I will say, I should probably have mentioned this sooner, and I can't believe I haven't brought it up yet, but I will say, as much as after Terminator 2, the franchise falls off a cliff and you kind of don't have to bother with it, I will say, with regards to that fact, though, do seek out, if you can, Terminator the Sarah Connor Chronicles, the short-lived two-season series, which is fantastic and is reminiscent of the quality of these first two uh, Terminator movies. Criminal that it got cancelled and it ended on a cliffhanger, but it's well worth a watch if you get a chance to seek it out, and not just because Summer Glau's in it. you know, <laughs> And not to mention Lena Headey as well. But directed at me that was, I think. <laughs> well, you know, we I know our audience. But yeah, uh, with that said, I'll move on to my conclusion and score then. Uh, I just said it's a futuristic science fiction time travel slasher s horror movie. Is it a surprise that I love this? The central plot and ideas captured my imagination from the start, and there's a reason that they launched a massive franchise that, ironically, will not die, despite a number of terrible sequels. It's early in Cameron's career, arguably his first movie, as you said, but already you can see some auteur-worthy trademark touches, and that, bar a couple of more basic moments, he is a talented force to be reckoned with. So much works here, the casting is totally on point, the performances all thoroughly convincing, the exposition is delivered naturally, not dumped on you all at once, and the atmosphere is palpable. The whole thing is just thoroughly entertaining and engrossing. If I'm nitpicking, then there are the more basic directing touches that I mentioned, like too many close-ups or use of cliche slow-mo. Likewise, while most of the special effects are unbelievably good, especially for the time there are some moments that have dated badly and where the technology just wasn't quite there yet, the sequel, would be, the sequel would be where all the ambitious ideas would get to be played out and the franchise really hits its highest note for me. But don't write this film off as a mere setup. It is vital to get you to the next part of the story. But on its own, it's still a near perfectly executed, genre-innovating, tense, zippy, and incredibly influential movie. One of my favourites and one of those films I can pop in anytime and still enjoy. I guess my love for it absolutely will not stop. Ever. <laughs> and weirdly enough, I also gave it 4.5 or 4.5 out of 5. Which, uh, yeah, the average of... It's 4.5 out of 5. For the <laughs> so, yeah, that's pretty bloody good. I, I mean, the, the odds of us all giving the exact same score, let alone that being the final, but uh, I'm happy with that because obviously yeah, I agree. You, Mike. We, we never agree on scores, but here we I know, right? Absolutely. But, uh, yeah, I did have a question... Uh, that I wanted to get to. But first of all, I did promise DK that I would share this meme he found earlier today. And again, if you're listening and not watching on our YouTube channel, go and subscribe to our YouTube channel or you'll miss out. So, <laughs> yeah. 
Um, there you go. Just just for you, Will, if you can see it. Uh, probably not because you're on your phone, I think. But yeah. I can see it. Just, uh, it's an older Linda Hamilton and Schwarzenegger, obviously playing Sarah Connor in the Terminator yes. and Sarah's scene. <laughs> so you're not a Terminator anymore, to which Arnie replies, negative, I retired, now I kill bugs. I am an ex-Terminator. So <laughs> <laughs> that was for you, DK, you insisted. Thank you. <laughs> you're to blame for that one. So, uh, yeah. So before we go then quickly, I did want to say, um, because I'm just curious, uh, Will, how many James Cameron movies have you actually seen? Ooh, right. To Letterboxd I go. <laughs> he hasn't made that many, so it's, uh, like I say, um, Alien to no, sorry. The Piranha 2, arguably. The Terminator, Aliens, The Abyss, T2. The third film I've seen, Titanic, this one, and Aliens, I believe. I've cool. seen neither uh, of the Avatar ones, none of his more niche ones. Niche, you know, I say. Blue Lies <laughs> or um, The Abyss or... Like I that. think I may have seen True Lies by a long, long time ago when I was a kid. You'd remember if you'd seen that Jamie Lee Curtis yeah. stripper sequence. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that's where that gift comes from. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, anyway, so where would you say this ranks among the three that you've seen? <laughs> oh, that's, that's a really good question. Uh, I like you. I, I like you. I, I like you. Thank think... you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I. Well, I, I hate him. I like you too. <laughs> <laughs> but, okay, I'm not going to do that. Bit. I'm skipping over it. Uh, you can't go uh, Titanic is a phenomenal film, like you would agree. Um, mm. So I am unashamedly going to say Titanic is probably my favorite film that I've seen of his. Then yeah. it would go Terminator 1. And then it would be Aliens, but that's no discredit to it. I think the director's cut is arguably mm. better than Terminator 1 if we're just going by my school's life, given oh, yeah. free. But just Fair the uh, usual cut, I would say Aliens third. Yeah, 100%. Fair enough. Uh, DK, I'm guessing you, like me, have seen all, if not almost all, of the Cameron movies. I've seen pretty much everything apart from things like Ghost of the Abyss, Aliens of the Oh, well, Game. I don't count the documentaries. I'm oh, probably okay, sure. <laughs> uh, I, I even think I've seen Piranha 2 when I was very, very oh, young. I think yeah. I have when I was super young, but I can't remember it, so I wouldn't like to say that I had. Yeah. And I did buy the DVD because it was – I got the DVD for like pence on eBay and was like, do you know what? I'll buy it just to watch it again sometime. That's fair enough. You may, you may have paid a pound too much there, to be honest. But... <laughs> Ouch. Uh, I think the only one of his that I has, haven't seen in that case is uh, Way of Water. Cool. And where would you put this then amongst the, the Cameron films that you've seen? Do you know something? I think I might put this... Honestly, because it was so new and original, I think I might put this above Terminator 2 and Ooh, slap it straight wow. in at number one. Wow, and you just told Will that you thought Terminator 2 was better. It is. It is. It's a better film, but I'm I'm going on an emotional level, and this uh, okay. impacted me in a way that Terminator 2 didn't because I'd kind of seen some of it before. Okay, fair enough. I've uh, yeah, well, reviewed Terminator 2 along the line. We definitely have to. Yeah. I mean, like I said, it's my favorite film of all time, so I probably would be biased going in, but I have lots yeah. I could say. I think it. I can so, guess yeah. Mike's star on that episode. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty obvious. Episode, that one. Yeah. 
it's literally the background because uh, I have the um, Letterboxd Patreon and it picks your favorite movie as your background. So it's the T2 Arnie that is my background to Letterboxd. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, so yeah, uh, my uh, Cameron ranking then, this would come third for me. Um, number one would be T2. Obviously, number two would be Aliens. Then this would be number three. But these, those are all a very close top three. Um, so yeah, I, I think suffice to say we all like the movie a lot. But I just yeah, was curious. Yeah. Mine's mine's pretty much a, a, a the same the same top three, but just in a different order. And you could pretty much shuffle them around. I mean, for argument's sake, you could say they're almost. I mean, especially Terminator Two and Aliens. I would say are probably both five stars if we're classing the director's cut of Aliens. And yeah. it's just literally I have to pick one of them to be superior. And T Two has the more emotional impact to me because. It was one of those, you know, made you fall in love with film films in the same way as Jurassic Park or Superman were. But uh, yeah, anyway, so all that remains now then is for me to say thank you, Will, for finally rejoining us on the podcast. Uh, thank you for having me. It's good fun. As always. Awesome. And uh, I believe you will be back hopefully a few times from now, uh, from now on. We're going to have you on regularly and doing some editing, hopefully. But if Absolutely. I'm not mistaken, you're coming back for our very next episode. Is that right? Uh, yeah, so sorry if you didn't like me for this episode. Uh, I am coming back to <laughs> review Do uh, Donnie Darko, I believe. Yes, that was going to say that reveal. It's going to be another cult episode. DK is presenting bad. us with that, uh, with another Jamie. DK's cult. And uh, yeah. So yeah, we're going to be joined by Will, Jamie, and DK will be hosting that one and uh, guiding us through Donnie Darko, a film that Jamie's I saw. Jamie's wanted to do that one for months, back on big screen days. He was like, oh, yeah. get me on for Donnie Darko. So I can't wait to speak to him because he's a very passionate guy on that film. It's yeah, it's another weird one because it's the first time you've seen it. You've already said it was on your list to watch, so you'll be glad to cross it off. Yeah. Um, it's a film that I saw a couple of times, but haven't seen for at least ten years. And uh, DK seems to know his stuff when it comes to that one. So, you looking forward to that, DK? Definitely, definitely. I'm just going to try and find all the behind the scenes nonsense for that now. <laughs> There's lots of it. I'm sure uh, yes. finishing. <laughs> exactly but uh, yeah so um you can always find us as i tend to say in the episode description you can find our link trees and the links to find the podcast and uh, our various places throughout the internet uh, you can also still submit a movie for us to review as Agent i said America. if you go back and watch <laughs> if you go back and watch our 200 subscribers video we threw open the uh, the floodgates to you to say if you want to suggest something we'll take uh, the thing with the most suggestions or we'll do a little uh, surprise draw UK watch Lady in america and just be um, completely blown away. So, yeah, if you don't want us to have to watch Laid in America, please suggest <laughs> anything else <laughs> to that one. And, uh, yeah, so, um, Will, did you have anywhere you wanted to shout out where the people can find you? Uh, you can find me on Instagram, and that's pretty much it nowadays. So, yeah. And, uh, yeah, we do have something coming up on the Who Game Shows channel uh, again soon as well. Of yeah? course. Uh, that will be out by the time this comes up. I believe. A game show called Jeopardy that apparently no one's heard of before. Um, I have. I, well, you have because you were a kid when it came out in the 70s. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, if only I, I don't have the sound clip of him saying, fuck you, asshole. If only <laughs> I <laughs> Well, we did that, and um, it's coming out really well. So, uh, yeah, give that a go. And, uh, yeah, more game shows to come, and perhaps another game show from Michael in a coming month or two. Maybe, maybe. Yeah. Lady in America on Letterboxd, then. Oh, hell no. <laughs> you don't strike me as a man who's like into youtube culture michael is like a little bit he's dipped his toes into it he knows who ksi is and whatever i i i just think you'd be like completely lost and i think the the reaction on the recording would just be a sight to behold 
DK. So I, I want to see you do that. Well, one of the reviews literally is, I chuckled once. I will regret that for the rest of my life. <laughs> <laughs> we can't do a review anywhere near as good as that. <laughs> but yeah, we shall see. So, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, thanks everyone for joining us uh, and do come back for in a couple of weeks time I believe when we'll be dropping our cult Donnie Darko review and stay tuned we have lots of things coming down the pike uh, for you to enjoy so uh, it seems very fitting to give our usual send off but who wants to uh, to take us out with that today? Yes, yeah, sure, I'll do it. Yeah. Go for it then Will. Fuck you asshole. <laughs> I knew Sorry. you were going to say that. In the epic words of Arnie We'll be back, or should I say, I'll be back. Bye. <laughs> Bye. You have been listening to the Silver Screen Podcast, hosted by Michael Wilson and DK. Created, produced, and edited by Michael Wilson. Behind the scenes sections and additional material produced by DK. Music by Timeless Journey. More information can be found at soundcloud.com forward slash timeless journey. Follow the podcast on Instagram at Silver Screen Podcast or look for the Silver Screen Podcast under Facebook groups. Links to all our social media accounts and more are in this episode's description. This podcast is available on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Just look for Silver Screen. Hit or miss Star Trek. This has been a Mike's Podcast Production. Copyright 2022. Thank you for listening.